0: Thank you. Good to be here with you. One of the highlights for me is spending a few weekends a year with you all. I've been able to do that for several years, and I'm really thankful that my wife Shelley is joining us, and she'll come up here in in a little while, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk and encourage you along the way with regard to marriage. Uh, We went to a wedding last weekend in Cary, North Carolina, where we used to live years ago, and really good friends of ours, their their oldest daughter was married, and we went to their reception after the wedding. It was outside, just a a beautiful event, and then we had plans for the other parts of the weekend to visit with other friends in different parts of the state of North Carolina, so we went and did that, Then we came back to Cary on Sunday night to visit with our friends again and and just kind of share with them some of the the highlights of their weekend as their daughter was married, and they were just really kind of wiped out after that weekend, and they had a lot of different uh, paraphernalia or, or uh, different uh, objects lying, lying around the house that kind of reminded us of the wedding from that weekend. One thing I noticed was a little sign that their daughter had made, and it had a, had a countdown on it. Uh, the sign reflected a certain number of days until happily ever after. And every day she'd write down a different number as the as countdown was going on. And I saw that it said, two days until happily ever after. Now I can appreciate the, the spirit in which that was written, and you probably can too. She was really looking forward uh, with, with, with a great excitement toward her wedding day. Uh, but those of us who have spent any amount of time being married, we know that uh, while there can be much happiness in marriage, it's not always happily ever after, is it? <laughs> We also spent last, last weekend uh, with some other friends on the other side of the state of North Carolina. They were celebrating their silver anniversary, soon to say, you know, 25 years. Sunday morning, there was an invitation to the entire church to come join them to celebrate 25 years of wedded bliss. And uh, that's a nice way to say it. Uh, they have a good marriage, but if they were honest, it hasn't always been bliss filled. <laughs> it's been challenging, it's been difficult at times. Friends, marriage is filled with, with adventure and mystery and sometimes rough patches too, isn't it? That, that, that's how it is. That, that's reality. I'm really grateful that our marriage puts Christ at the center and, and God is at the helm. And while we are very far from perfect, we, we've learned to forgive one another over the years because really that's what God has, has done with us. We've been in a series around here called Beyond Ordinary. And we've talked about no ordinary honesty and no ordinary forgiveness, no ordinary anger. Today we're talking about no ordinary marriage. We want to help take marriages to the next level. And we may say some things this evening that that you agree with or or you disagree with as well. We may say say some things that that make you snicker or or you may want to give the person next to you one of these. But but tonight, uh, we want to make this an elbow-free zone. No elbows allowed to to fly around this room this evening. It'll help you pay attention better than ever before, right? Shelley and I, as Charity mentioned, we've been married uh, over three decades. That's the kind of a nice way to say over 30 years now. And we've learned some things about marriage along the way. And uh, one thing that we have learned is that it's not easy. It's just not easy. While that may be a, a no-brainer for many of you, that was something I had to learn. I mean, I came into marriage thinking, this is going to be a piece of cake. This will really will be easy. <laughs> but that wasn't really the case. Not, not if you want your marriage to thrive. We were two very different people coming from, from various backgrounds. Men and women are just different from each other, right? I mean, we, we see things differently. We react differently. At the start of the day, oftentimes, when a woman says, I have nothing to wear, she really means, I have nothing new to wear. When a man says, I have nothing to wear, he's meaning, I have nothing clean to wear. It's just a difference between male and female, right? When you bring a variety of factors from various backgrounds into a marriage, it takes a while to figure that kind of stuff out, and going beyond an ordinary marriage is difficult, even when Christ is leading the way. Now, some of you have additional factors that have made it even more complicated for you. Perhaps you grew up in a home where, where dad or mom was often missing or gone altogether. Perhaps you had a, a different viewpoints about matters of faith, and that created some difficulty for you. Maybe you're part of a blended family, and that's created some additional hurdles that you've had to navigate and throw in everyday life. One person said the problem with life is that it's so daily. There's a story told about an older couple that uh, they were having dinner together in a restaurant one evening, and, and wife, she, she sees another couple about their age sitting in a booth nearby, and she sees the husband there sitting close next to his wife with his arm around her, and, and he's whispering things in his ear, and she's smiling, he's gently rubbing her shoulder and stroking her hair. and the woman turns to her husband and she says, look at that couple over there look how close that man is to his wife, how he's talking to her. Look how sweet he is. Why don't you ever do that? Her husband kind of looks up from his Caesar salad. He glances over the next booth and he turns to his wife and he says, honey, I can't do that. I don't even know that woman. <laughs> An old joke, but thanks for the laughter anyway. When it comes to marriage, the reality is this. Marriage is not easy. And because of that, you, you may get discouraged or even tempted to want to throw in the towel from time to time to to stop trying. And our hope is for you today to continue to try. Your marriage can go to the next level. And it's our goal to to help you move toward no ordinary marriage. Now, we admit that we have many areas in our own world that that need to be shorn up. But today, we want to provide you with a couple of key recommendations that that can help you and, and, and then follow up with a response. Of course, the recommendations, they're not from us. They come directly from God, in his Word, straight out of the Bible. The Apostle Paul is the author of the New Testament book of Ephesians, and he was writing to the Christians in the first century, and they were a lot like you and me back then. They were people that lived in an area that had quite a bit of commerce. In other words, they had jobs. Uh, they were uh, living in a thriving city. The, the residents were moms and dads, and husbands and wives. People trying to pay their bills, get their kids to where they needed to go, and do a good job in the marketplace. And they tried taking care of their homes and, at the same time, make a difference for Christ. And during the first half of that book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the supremacy of Christ. He, he points out that Jesus is really the one that's worth following. He, he's the one that should be in charge of our lives and. And the second half of that book is more practical in its tone. Paul is saying that since Christ is leading the way, since he's the one you're following, here's how you ought to live. In the first verse of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, this is what a walk with Christ looks like. Later in that same chapter, Ephesians 5, Paul gives some advice to couples regarding marriage. Under the framework of mutual submission, He's quite helpful. He gives an instruction to husbands, and he gives an instruction to wives as well. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25, Paul says, "Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her." In verse 33, he adds these words to husbands. He says, "Each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself." God's recommendation to husbands: love your wives." And the word that's used for love there has this idea of the kind of love that wants to have the the best for the other. It has this idea of unconditional kind of love. It's not based on your wife earning your love, it's something that you give, it's something that you do. Love is a verb, it's an action. I had lunch with a pastor friend of mine the other day and he's been going through some difficult times in his ministry he, he sent me a text one day he said let's get together for lunch very soon I could really use some encouragement so we set a time and I was driving over to meet him he's about 45 minutes away and on the way over I was thinking boy I, I don't have anything to say that's going to be encouraging I wish I could come up with something that's profound but I had nothing well, we had lunch during that day, and he was telling me some of the details of the struggles he was going through in his ministry. And, and, and sometime during that, that lunch, I just said, you know, uh, Gary, uh, what you did, if I were you, I would have done the same thing. And I know that's hard, and, and some of the consequences are tough, but it was the right thing to do. And uh, then we continued our lunch, and later on that day, he sent me a text, and he said, thank you for your encouragement, your friendship, your words of wisdom. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you. <laughs> You know what I did, really, that day at lunch? I I just reassured him, and he needed some affirmation. Am I okay? Yeah, you're okay. When it comes to marriage, your wife needs reassurance. When you support her decisions, when you support her in general, when she feels reassured, she knows that she's loved If she asks, will you love me when I'm old or gray or if I have Alzheimer's? Rather than giving a smart aleck answer, something like, of course I'll love you. We're going to grow old together. We'll get gray together. That, that, That goes a long ways. She needs to know that you're committed. And reassurance is, I will love you. I will never leave you. Well, what are some other ways that you can love your wife? Well, this is certainly no all-encompassing listing, but but if you want to have no ordinary marriage, listening is key. In trying to understand your wife, the most powerful weapons that you have are your ears. Just listen to your wife, and she's much more likely to feel understood. Now, I'm certainly not the greatest when it comes to this aspect. I'm I'm a whole lot better than I used to be, but my default mode is to go into fix-it mode. Probably no other guy in this room can relate to that, but I go into fix-it mode when Shelly has a problem. She might have a situation. I may propose three possible solutions and looking at the pros and cons of each option, and instead all she's really looking for me to do is to listen to her situation and show concern. And once in a while she may say, what do you think I should do? But mostly it's best to listen without proposing a solution. Now, that's not natural for most men, but it tells your wife that you love her. Now, that doesn't mean that guys should not talk either, right? That's, that's kind of a tricky one. Uh, a couple years ago, my mom went to the phone store to, to get a new phone, and, and the, the salesperson said, Ma'am, what do you use your phone for? Well, my mom, she just looked at him and said, Well, I, I talk and I listen. And he kind of was asking, you know, what are all the different things you use your phone for? All she had was just an old phone. She talks and listens. And uh, he, he finally worked it through with her. But guys, if you want to love your wives, you need to talk and you need to listen. We mentioned that listening part for a bit, but what about the talking? Well, last weekend at that wedding reception for our friend's daughter, uh, I, I was talking with a friend of ours that's about our age, and, and I asked her, how's it going for you? how are you doing in life now that uh, you're in a new stage and their kids had both graduated from college and they're recent empty nesters? Well, she, I could tell she kind of paused. Do I tell him the truth or do I just pretend? <laughs> then she said, well, I, I'm married to someone who's pretty quiet and, and, and I like to talk. And he's quite content being quiet. She added, we'll be sitting on the porch together, and I'll say, you feel like we're connecting right now? And he'll say, yeah, do you? And I'll say, no, I need you to talk to me. Well, this new phase of life is requiring some adjustments in their marriage. Guys, we're not always sure when to talk and when to listen, are we? In reality, both are needed in order for your wife to feel loved. Research has shown that the male preference for what's called shoulder-to-shoulder communication, which includes little or no talking, is is number one on a guy's list. Here's where I need to remind you that we're in a a no-elbow zone tonight, right? In one study, researchers performed a series of tests on males and females from four different age groups, second graders, sixth graders, 10th graders, and 25-year-olds instructions for each pair of females and each pair of males were exactly the same enter a room sit down on a chair and talk if you wish well as the test proceeded every pair of females no matter what their age reacted the same way they turned their chairs toward each other or at least they turned toward each other so that they could talk and and be face to face and lean forward the males acted differently (laughs) what do you think they did Well, they didn't turn their chairs toward each other in any way. They sat side by side, shoulder to shoulder, looking straight ahead, and every once in a while glancing at each other just for a split second or two. Because the females turned their chairs toward each other, or literally uh, turned their chairs to face one another for direct face-to-face contact, the researchers assumed that they would be the most intimate in their conversations. But actually, the most open and transparent of all the pairs between the male and the females were the 10th grade boys. Bottom line is that men grow close by doing activities together, shoulder to shoulder. And the reality is that there's a need for both. There's time to listen and a time to, to talk. There's no magic formula or silver bullet for knowing when to engage in either aspect. The key is to communicate. And when you listen attentively and appropriately, when you talk and share your life, your wife will know that she's loved. Your marriage can be beyond ordinary. And love is shown by being reassuring, and listening, and talking. And Cheryl may just want to add some other areas, another tip or two as to how we show love or how we love our wives.
1: Well... <clears throat> When Steve said I could add one thing, (laughs) I thought I would add one really big thing so that it covers all kinds of territory that maybe he hadn't already covered. And um, so for me, and I think probably for most wives in this room, when your husband thinks of you and then acts on that thought, thoughtfully, you feel loved. Would that be true? So... This whole category of thoughtfulness is really big. It covers all kinds of things, like meaningful touch. And um, if your husband glances at you across a crowded room in a way that lets you know he's thinking about me, that expresses love to a woman. Or if um, he writes you a note. Steve has always been really good at using sticky notes. And I think partly that's because they're really small, And so you don't have to write very much on them. But that's what's so great about it, too, because he can just write a a little one-liner and stick it on the door to the garage so that when I leave that day, I know he thought of me and I feel loved. Uh, That's a simple one, guys. You might want to just start using that one right away. But a bigger idea would be maybe if you buy a gift just because you were out somewhere and you saw something that reminded you of your wife. That goes a really long way. Simple things like that. For me, when Steve sees something that needs to be done and then does it without being asked, I love that. And I feel loved. It, there are things like, um, you know, if, if he says, we should have so-and-so over for dinner. And then he pitches in to help fix the dinner. And then afterwards, when everybody's gone, he's on the cleanup team right beside me. I mean, it's just those kinds of things that are thoughtful. Um, For me, that service area is huge because I am married to a great communicator. And for you wives who aren't married to somebody who likes to talk with you, you might be thinking, you know, I really could care less if he washes my car every Saturday right on time or if he keeps that lawn so manicured because he never talks to me. Well, for me, it's the opposite. So what I figured out is, when guys, when you do something that is out of your sweet spot, you know, when it's something that you really have to think about in order to do it, and you go ahead and do it, your wife knows that about you, and she feels so loved because you made the effort. It's that intentionality that speaks volumes to a woman, so I'm not asking much. I'm just asking you to, to go way outside of your you know, regular pattern of things and, and do those things that she will notice and think, "Wow, he really loves me. He's so thoughtful." But girls, that you know, there's some instruction for us too here, and we want to get to that. So is it OK to forge ahead? Right okay. Ahead. All right. So Steve mentioned that in Ephesians, Paul gets really practical, and he uses the word walk. Seven times in the book, he talks about our walk, meaning our life, how we live live out our faith. Three times, he mentions it in chapter 5 of Ephesians. The first time is in verse 2, and he says, walk in love. And then to be very specific, he says, you got to love like Jesus. That's You love, and then in verse 8, he goes on to say, Walk in light, let everybody see it how you're living. But in verse 15, he adds, Be careful how you walk, and right after that, he says, Make the most of every opportunity. And ladies, that's when I think we get started um, thinking about being a wife that goes beyond the ordinary. Because in Ephesians 5.33, after he tells the husbands to love their wives, Paul says, let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So so he's saying we have to be really, really intentional about respecting our husbands. And I think, you know, I am married to somebody that I respect. It should be very natural for me to show that respect but it's not, not all the time, because I'm prideful and I'm selfish, and sometimes the respectful thing to do isn't the thing that I necessarily want to do. You may be in a very different situation. It may be hard for you to respect the person that you're married to. The instruction is still here, so let's take a look at it and just kind of think about, Lord, how can I obey you in this? even if it's hard, because like Steve mentioned earlier, it's never easy, but for some, maybe it may be even harder. You know, and I think part of that is, Paul is saying that to wives because when we first get mar- married, we might feel naturally respectful, but you know how familiarity kind of wears away at that? In fact, there's, there's a phrase, fam- familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, and so we could slide from respect into contempt if we go the natural way of things. But you know, this is a choice. We could do the Philippians 4.8 thing, which says, fix our thoughts about our husbands on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, and allow familiarity not to breed contempt but to feed respect. Husbands, would you like that if your wife only thought about what what is right and honorable and admirable about you and then acted on that with her words and her actions? Wouldn't that be kind of awesome? What would that do to you internally if that's how we regularly responded to you? I mean, God might be onto something here. I'm going to read Ephesians 5.33 from a different version. It's the Amplified Bible. And it starts the same way. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. But it amplifies that whole idea of respect. In fact, it goes on for quite a while with verbs that, that let us see how I should be respecting him. And this list, it might be a little um, intimidating, but I'm going to read each verb as though it's a statement of fact about how I am responding to my husband. And I want you to try on each of these statements for size and see if if it really does fit your behavior in your marriage. Okay, are you ready, ladies? And remember, elbow-free zone. Okay. I notice him. I regard him. I honor him. I prefer him. I venerate him. No, I'm not making that up. That's really what it said in the amplified version. I don't know why they threw that one in there. I esteem him. I defer to him. I praise him. I love him. I admire him exceedingly. Okay, so you're thinking, really? Okay, Steve didn't go on that long about love. And so why are you be- you know, beating me up with this list? If, if you're not doing all of that, you're in good company because none of us you know, get up every morning and think, I am going to venerate my husband today. And if we did, he probably wouldn't even know that's what we're doing. So we can let that one go. But to praise him for something that you recognize as good, to prefer him, to honor him, wow, he will really notice that kind of thing. I love this quote from a book called The Impact of a Positive Wife. It says, respect is not only what a husband wants, it's what every marriage needs. So, obey God and respect your husband. Okay, but the flip side of that is, what happens when a wife doesn't respect her husband? Well, he responds to that probably by becoming angry, or discouraged, or you know, not very motivated to change anything that might need changing, check yourself for these signs of disrespect, ladies. Eye rolling, frowning at him, verbal put-downs, either directly or in front of other people, which is like the worst. How about regularly arguing with him? You know, do you have friends who, when, when you get together with them, Every time the husband starts to tell a story, the wife just picks that thing apart and tells him, no, that's not the right detail. No, it wasn't on that night. And we're sitting there with our friends thinking, we don't really care about what night it was. Just let him finish the story. And it turns into an argument, and it's uncomfortable. Don't do that. Constant complaining, disregarding guidelines about the family finances, making sex conditional, Expressing doubt in your husband or ignoring him. All of these are signs of disrespect. And what, what guy would really like to be treated that way? I mean, it's so obvious. And ladies, if I'm to ask you the question, how is that working for you anyway? If you're honest, you'll say, well, it's not changing anything when I do those things. Nope. And it's not improving your relationship. Craig Rochelle, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's a Christian author and he's a um, well-known minister, and he said, if you treat your husband as ordinary or common, he won't feel empowered to lead your family, but if you honor him, you give him the opportunity to rise to the occasion and become honorable. So, what does God say? What's his way about showing respect? What are some of the husband affirming things we can do? Well, simple smile at him, embrace him like you mean it, accept his preferences. You know, when we went to that wedding last weekend, I tried on a couple dresses to see which one Steve thought I should wear. What if I had chosen to wear the one that he didn't choose? What would that say to him? I wore the one that he chose. And then I found a shirt for him to go with the one that he chose. Uh, Complimenting him sincerely, bragging on him in front of other people, and really building him up in front of your kids is huge. Do you use these kinds of build-up phrases? I believe in you. You're really good at that, whatever that is. Go for that dream. You can do that. Or thanks for working so hard to provide for our family. You are a good provider. You know, I know that we all like that kind of positive reinforcement, but I was really surprised when I read one male author who said, guys, rise to praise. We get a rush like nothing else when our wives praise us or look at us with awe. (laughs) How often do we do that, girls? Come on. Romans 12.10 encourages us to do this. Excel at showing respect to one another. And then another version says, take delight in honoring one another. Wives, what if we did that? What if we excelled at showing our husbands respect? What if we took delight in honoring him on a daily basis? What if you said, no ordinary marriage for me, no way. I am going to show my husband extraordinary respect. And I didn't say, I'm going to show my extraordinary husband respect. Because our husbands are humans, and they are imperfect people. And we are aware of that, right? That's okay. Look for the good. Begin to define him in your own mind by that good, speak it to him, thank God for it, and you're just reinforcing all that good. Even when he's not doing good, there's a story that I just read about a wife who was really good at this. Her husband's name is Dan Allender, and I don't even know her first name, but Dan Allender is a counselor, a Christian counselor, and he's, he is a professor of counseling on the West Coast. And he tells a story of one time when he and his wife and their son were skiing, and the young son got really scared at the top of a hill, and he was not going to go down that hill. And Dan, you know, approached it like a man, come on, Let's let's just take this hill. Let's do this thing. And he started really pressuring his son. And guess what? It wasn't working. And so his wife said, I've got this. Go ahead. And he skied down the hill, looked back up. Her way wasn't working either. She's trying to coax him and, and you know, just really encourage him. And the boy's not going down the hill. And Dan's like, enough of this. So he kind of marches, if you can march, up a hill in skis. And the further up the hill he got, the madder he got. And he was going to let that boy have it. And she saw him coming, and she saw how he was coming. And he said, you've tried. Now let me take care of this. And she stood her ground. And she shook her head. And she said, no. And very softly she said to him, you have had so many men that you admire shame you in moments like this, and I know you don't want to be that kind of man to your son. He, it, it broke right through his anger, and in fact, he said he started to cry, and she just put her hand on his heart, and she said, you're a good man, and she turned and skied down the hill, and there's this young son standing there, you know, shaking and quivering and thinking, oh, no, now I'm going to have it, and his dad turned to him, and he said, well, You heard what just happened here, and you saw your mom love me well, and I was wrong. And I'm asking you to forgive me for being angry with you. And that boy put his hand on his dad's heart and said, Mom's right. You're a good man. Ladies, we can contribute toward an extraordinary marriage by giving our husbands respect. Proverbs 31, you've heard of that woman. She's extraordinary. Verses 11 and 12 say this about her. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. In other words... She shows him respect.
0: Back in, the 19, back in the 1960s, in the 60s, that song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, became kind of a theme song for women as, as they listened to Aretha Franklin belt it out. But what most people don't realize is that, that song was written by Otis Redding two years before Aretha sang it. And he released it as a single in August of 1965 as a message to his wife. Aretha had the right to sing it as well, and and, and women certainly deserve respect. If a man loves her properly, that will be there. The primary meaning in Otis Redding's song is a cry from a man's deepest soul that says respect is what he needs, and he's got to have it. You may have heard that children spell love T-I-M-E, while husbands spell it R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Here's one big help that we're finding. Give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Let me say that again. Give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Shelley doesn't intend to be disrespectful, and I don't intend on being unloving, though I still hurt her at times with different comments and attitudes. The University of Washington spent 20 years studying 2,000 couples that had been married between 20 and 40 years to the same partner. And these people came from diverse backgrounds. They had widely differing occupations and lifestyles. But one thing was similar, uh, the tone of their conversations. As these couples talked together, almost always there was a strong undercurrent of two basic ingredients, love and respect. Uh, There was a survey conducted there by a secular university, and they found biblical principles to be vital. The wife needs love just as she needs air to breathe. And and when the husband sees the spirit uh, of the wife deflate, he's stepping on her air hose. Same thing happens uh, for the husband. He needs respect, just like he needs air to breathe. As long as the air is coming through, he's fine. When my wife points out something that she respects in me, quite frankly, I find that to be motivating. When that wedding was over last weekend and we were talking about it, there were a couple hundred people at the the, uh, banquet or what do you call that? Reception. Reception. And uh, thank you. Very respectful response, wasn't it? And uh, I... I didn't know everybody at the banquet or reception, but I talked to about 40 or 50, everybody that I knew. And I said to Shelly, I think I talked to just about everybody that I know there. And she said, well, I I didn't do that. Boy, that was a good job. I wish I could do that. You're really good at that. And it made me feel pretty good. Uh, Later on, the next day, we met with a pastor and his wife together, and the pastor was telling me he may be open to moving to a, a different ministry, maybe relocating in the future. I told him I'd keep my ear to the ground for him. And, and Shelley added in the conversation, she said, when Steve says that, he, he really means it. He, he has a knack for helping people fit in, in the right place in ministry. Again, that kind of observation and, and comment was fuel for my tank. I mean, I felt highly valued and respected by my wife. The reality is that marriage is not easy. And If you want to take it to the next level, if you want to have no ordinary marriage, then the recommendation from Scripture is to implement Paul's principles of love and respect, and that will help you greatly. What about taking this idea and putting it into actual practice? Let's focus the end of today's message by taking a next step or a practical response. One response for you may be to participate in the mentoring ministry that you have going on right at this church You have a ministry that's led by Jeff and Diane Giese where you have about a dozen different couples who are willing to mentor you one-on-one, whether it's before your marriage or you're already married but you need some help or you need some encouragement. There are a dozen or so couples ready to do that right now, right today, that you can have uh, someone helping you, holding your hand through a difficult time, perhaps. But let's talk more about specific steps that you may take uh, as part of our response for today's talk, should I stand up? Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I feel like I want to stand up since you're standing up, but I'd like to be shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> okay. okay, so when we were thinking about the response, um, we thought, well, we better practice it. And so we asked each other um, this question. And so I'm going to start with the question for wives to ask their husbands. Not right now, but when you have some time later on this evening or this weekend. I wonder if you have the courage to ask if there were one thing that I could do or stop doing to help you feel respected in the Lord, what would that be? And then the question for you wives is, are you willing to do that one thing that he suggested?
0: And guys, here's a response for you. It's kind of a homework question for the week. Can you ask your wife this question? If there were one thing that you'd want me to do or stop doing to show love to you in a godly way, what would that be? What would that one thing be? I mean, it's one thing to have the courage to ask a question like that. It's another to actually take action. Am I willing to do it? Am I willing to do it? Is that a response you're willing to take?
1: So we're going to pray for marriages now. And... And, you know, there are so many things to pray about that we were wondering how to narrow this down. Uh, This past week, I was looking at a video clip of Margaret Feinberg. And she's a very influential Christian speaker and author who two years ago was diagnosed with cancer. And so she's been through the struggle of cancer. And the final result of that is a new Bible study called Fight Back with Joy, which looks really good. I haven't, you know, dug into it yet. But during that video clip, she talked about how people are always asking, how can I pray for you in your cancer situation? And she said she was struggling with disappointment with God. And so her prayers were vague and not very effective. And, and then she and her husband stumbled be upon an idea. They thought, what if we tell people to ask God for zero? Zero more cancer, zero side effects from these medications, Zero medical errors, and on and on it went. And and then I got really excited about that that idea, and I said to Steve, what if we pray for zero in marriages? What if it's, you know, zero focus on your husband's faults and concentrating on the good instead? What if it's zero quick response to fix her situation and step back and just listen to her? What if it's zero reluctance to even work on this marriage because it's such a mess? Steve's going to go ahead and pray. And we're just going to ask God for zero in marriages.
0: Let's pray for zero. Father, uh, we'd like to thank you for words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. Sometimes they're hard to implement. Uh, loving, we, we, we fall. When we're respecting, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Help us to get back up. And Lord, we would like to pray today for zero When it comes to hesitations in having a a follow-up conversation, we pray, Lord, that there be zero hesitations today. Uh, We pray for zero uh, with regard to fear in talking about changes that are needed. Give people courage. Father, we we pray for zero with regard to the instances of pride where uh, the thought might be, we have arrived, occurs. Lord, today there are people in this room that have made choices that they regret. And when we pray that there would be zero regrets moving forward, uh, and they would realize that they've already been forgiven. Father, we also pray for zero when it comes to grudges, zero grudges held that prevent healing from taking place. Lord, this is a big one, but you're a big God. Uh, we ask for zero nights sleeping in separate rooms. We ask for zero affairs that injure the foundation of trust Lord we ask too for zero words spoken that belittle or demone we pray Lord that we don't want to be demeaning we want zero words spoken that way Lord we pray going forward that there would be zero divorces in this room and that also there would be zero when it comes to reluctance to modeling our lives after Jesus Christ we sang this evening show us your glory Show us your power. And we're depending on you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We mentioned a couple different times during our talk about this wedding reception, the wedding event that we went to. And uh, we reconnected with some friends that we hadn't seen for years. And years ago, I was a pastor at this church in Cary, North Carolina. And and one of the young couples, uh, Chuck and Janice, had a small group. And, and they made it their mission to find younger couples and mentor them in their small group, help them along the way. Well, there was another couple at the wedding by the name of Brad and Carrie who had been part of Chuck and Janice's small group years ago. Then they moved away to another church in Illinois. And we found out that today, Brad and Carrie look for younger couples in their church, and they have a small group that they're mentoring young couples. And that principle is being repeated in the next generation. It's really motivating, isn't it, when you see what's happening sometimes in the next generation? There's something that we participate that's next generation-like in our church here. For, for centuries now, we have implemented a principle of communion where we remember Christ. The same Jesus that Paul wrote about in Ephesians 5 who said he loved the church so much that he died for us. And then what did Jesus ask us to do? really he just asked us to remember him. So as part of that next generation, uh, centuries later, this evening we're going to share together in a communion time where we remember Jesus and the love that he showed by dying for us and then rising again to life so that we might have an eternal hope. Let's share together in communion.